Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. And here we go again for another Senior Scribbler Senior Story Hour session. Our robust company has gathered again in the Franklin TV Public Radio studios. Yay, us. Yay, us. (laughs) We're cool. Relatively. Relatively speaking. And we had talked of potentially discussing some articles and or sharings around a hot August because, or at least summertime, because that'll be what'll be aired during the summertime. So let's do a round of who's with us, and then we get into the stories and whatever else we've got. I'm Peter J. Hello. Nick Remesong. Good to see you. You can't see him, Nick. Hear you. <laughs> Nick is speaking in the metaphorical yes. sense of being seen on the radio, which is a common practice, particularly before television existed. And so if you work with the mind's eye for a moment, you will find that his particular approach to greeting you is completely valid on the radio. And as Steve Allen used to say, it's good to be seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is Faith Flaherty. And I'm Bill Wiley. And I'm Atlas Judge. That's the round of folks with us today. And we'll play with that mind's eye, and hopefully we'll have some descriptive words so you'll be able to see us, even though we're in that digital space between the ears. It's on your mind's eye. <laughs> <laughs> so who wants to lead today? Um, I'll happy to jump in. I actually um, was inspired by an article. I'm helping a buddy of mine to write a book, as well as the ones that I'm working on. We've been exchanging many articles on the notion of what, what spurs creativity. Uh, and one article that came across that I had forwarded to him, uh, I'll start by reading a little, just you know, a few sentences of it, and then what my email comment was with respect to that article. And so the title of that article was, Actually, It's Good to Be Bored at Work. Designers have long embraced boredom as a productivity tool, and research actually supports the data. Being bored is no fun, especially at work. There's nothing worse than finding yourself bored in your cubicle on a Monday morning, only to realize there's still four and a half more days of the week till, till you get to the weekend. But 2019 research out of the Research School of Management at Australian National University argues that while boredom is certainly boring, it isn't all bad. This loathed mental state can actually spark precious creativity. And then the article goes on, et cetera, and makes its case. But in forwarding a link to the article, what I said was that I thought that its central premise could be better framed. Boredom doesn't fall far from meditation or an alpha state. With nothing urgent to tend, no distractions in the day-to-day, no fires to put out, no external stimuli, you are idle. Is idleness really the devil's workshop? I think not, necessarily. I'm a believer in boredom and its easy opportunity for mental industry. As a very young'un, I would go to my mom with a common complaint about boredom. I have nothing to do. After a few cycles of that leading consistently to Well, go find something. And find I did. Two very good things happened. I became accustomed to just being with myself, a self-soother, as it were. I enjoyed puttering. 
over time, an easy transition from bored moment to creative pursuit became natural. Now I celebrate my own ersatz holiday on January 1st every day, putter day, a great time to strive for creativity. But along the way, additionally, with the advent of the internet, I find that the vast bulk of us are, I don't know, call it content to be consumers of information. And I find it actually more entertaining to be a producer of information. And I think that's where the happiness lies for people who do their own podcasts, who find a way to do video, blogging, whatever. And I think in that sense, the internet as a distribution medium can either be a way of sucking down idle time and not getting anywhere, or converting your idle time to something that others might appreciate. And so in the larger sense, I think it would be great if we could find a way to do what my mom did, go find something. <laughs> like that's, like yeah. my radio show, I, I, uh, you know, I make all kinds of friends and I talk to them and everything, and, mm -hmm. and they ask me to play music and I play it for them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I always you. told my kids, only boring people are bored. Yes. yes. There you go. <laughs> there well you said. Go. Well said. Yeah. Coin that one. Get some re re return on that. Yeah. I remember my first story for the Randolph Herald when I wanted to, um, I told them this story. It was the lunch program at my child's, at my daughter's elementary school. He said, write it. And I did. And of course, way back then, uh, the prehistoric era, it was 75 cents an inch. And um, this was a weekly paper. And I saw my byline and I was hitched. You know, I was, um, I was uh, already. And um, my girlfriend, who also worked for the paper and then moved on, uh, as I did, um, but she always went first. She said, "Look how the story is in the um, week uh, in the daily paper, and then uh, you know you will know what to how to write it." And I basically taught myself, and that was a that was a wonderful suggestion. And um, I learned from um, other people, you know, in the daily, and then I wrote it in the weekly. And of course, it was old news by the time of the weekly, but she moved on and I moved on to a daily. And uh, and uh, so I basically taught myself, but there was something about it that uh, supercharged me. And there was no, I was not, um, I, you know, I just went like a snowball don't going down the hill. I was going to get there, I was going to get there, and I was crazy about it. And so, um, so anyway, that, that, um, now my story, I, uh, I talked about last week, and I decided to, um, to do, and it's about the, the um, movie Gone Baby Gone. And we talked last week about the, um, about the, uh, the movie, and I was totally dismayed. In fact, I had to sit in my seat and just think about what had happened. But the ending was what everybody knows that's a writer, and it's show, don't tell. And that last scene, it was just marvelous with Casey 
Affleck as the um, protagonist sitting on that couch and realizing but if if we all know Gone Baby Gone and it was a wonderful movie I'm sure everybody has seen it it was just startling how well they did that they showed don't tell and and of course that's what they tell you to do in writing but anyway if I may write uh, if I may read this um, an evening with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck the movie Gone Baby Gone came out in 2007. My son was the location manager on the film. When a film is finished, there's always a preview of the movie and a party for the crew and stars. And my son asked me if I would go with him. I never miss a chance to spend time with my son, so I was thrilled. The movie was held at a theater in Boston, which was closed to the public. My son and I had great seats, third row back in the middle. I think it was probably just luck we had gotten there early that we had those good seats. Ben Affleck introduced the movie and said a few words, and then we saw the movie, which I loved. After which there was a party at a nearby club, also close to the public. It's amazing how many people work on a movie. And if you've ever looked at the credits on a screen following a movie, you realize that. So the club had three floors and it was packed. I followed my son. There were plenty of there was plenty of food, drinks, everything was free to those in attendance. So I'm standing there with my son when right in front of me is Matt Damon. So my son introduced us. He smiled and was cordial, but he didn't stay around to talk to me. Damon was not in the movie, but he is a very good friend of Affleck, so was probably invited for the evening. It was then I spied Ben Affleck. He was looking down at the TV on the first floor where the Red Sox were playing on the on the television. Ben's quite a big fan of the Red Sox, and I didn't realize it, but his favorite team had just lost. Timing is everything, isn't it? I did not know the Red Sox had lost, and quite frankly, I didn't care. And I should have given him a little time to compose himself. I go up to Ben and say, Ben, I like your work. He looks at me as if to say, who are you and what are you doing here? My son is a few paces back and says, Ben, this is my mother. And he's worked on a lot of Ben Affleck movies, you know, several, at least three or four. He looks at me again, Ben looks at me again, doesn't smile and gives me the same look. I joined my son and we continued our party. How was I to know the Red Sox would lose? I guess this means that he's not going to let me audition for his next movie. I didn't say anything about my meeting then. My son didn't either. I love a party, so we mingled and had a great time. Yeah, it's a great memory, Alice. Yes, it is a, a good memory, yeah. And... Um, yeah, it's amazing, like I said, how many people work on a movie. And um, my son has been um, location manager or 
or assistant location manager, depending on the budget, for many years. And so I remember when he first was um, doing uh, movies um, like Shallow Hell and uh, other movies, my friends would, uh, my friends would, and I would go, and we always lingered to see if his name was on the screen. And sure enough, now with Shallow Hell, there were, they had the Boston crew, they had the California crew. So they showed pictures of everybody with their name and their job. And it was funny, my girlfriends always find him first. And with Shallow Hell, every kid, <laughs> they looked like kids, everyone that worked on the movie had hair on their face. And my my son included when he first started going to Emerson, you know, I guess that was that was um, the thing. So he still has hair on his face. So I couldn't find him. They all looked young. They all, and they had this, um, but sure enough, my friends, my, my friends always found him uh, sooner than I. But um, he's not, um, he's a very uh, down-to-earth guy and very nice guy. He, um, you know, to meet him, he's very uh, sociable and, and cordial. And to meet him is to really want him to be your friend, that kind of thing. So, um, but anyway, um, so we had a good time. And, and um, you know, all three floors of that club, they they took up because of um, of all the people that work in, in a movie. So... Uh, yeah, it was a good, like Nick says, it was a good memory. Can I re- read mine? Sure, go for it, Bill. I think you got two today, right? Uh, I, I got I got mine, and, I, and my girlfriend's answered Response. me. Her third poem to me. Although hers don't rhyme, but I don't I don't care. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Yep. Uh, I call it uh, words of love, my beautiful lady. Uh, your words of love touch my heart. Together forever, never apart. In times of joy, in times of pain, I will be beside you again and again. The beautiful lady that you are, you light up my life like a brightest star. I long to hold you and squeeze you tight, my arms around you with all my might. Never realized our love for each other was so strong. Together we belong and always belong. I will walk through the rain, I will walk through the snow. When we get together, our love will grow. My words of love flow from my heart. You are a a beauty, such a work of art. My sweet darling, it's you I need. Let's get together and plant a seed. Our love will grow like the branches of a tree. They'll spread so far for all to see. My love for you grows stronger each day. This love we have will show the way. I love you now, I will love you tomorrow. We will be so happy and have no sorrow. And then, she, then she answered me, and she says, uh, your love poems are amazing. This is the best song I ever read. She calls it a song because it rhymes. Right. <laughs> and I also wrote a, a love poem for you. It's a, it, it took me a week of inspiration, a weekend of inspiration. I hope I can bring you sparks. If I were a drop of rain and dew, a snowflake, then I will fly with you on infinite heights to find the eternity of love in the long years, no longer encounter greater vanity. 
At that time, we will walk and sing in the spring of the garden, whether it's early morning, dusk, or night. We will, we will all depend on each other and walk hand in hand. I don't, I don't understand her, her, uh, her way of putting it together, but I, but I, but I love the words. Mm -hmm. It's good prose. Yeah. Very yeah, nice. Yeah, it's very good prose. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. I think because it's not in the kind of the rhyming scheme. Yeah, I'm used, used to. to yeah. I'm used to rhyming, so it's, 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 it, it's hard for me to read something that doesn't rhyme. <laughs> Indeed. So, Faith, you've got something for us. Isaac Asimov once quipped. The most exciting phrase to hear in science, the one that heralds new discoveries, is not Eureka, but that's funny. One example is how the Scottish biologist Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. He was working in his laboratory investigating staphylococci. After hours, a cleaner came in and opened the windows. In the morning, Fleming came in the lab and found a strange fungus on a culture he had left in a Petri dish. That's funny. The fungus killed off the bacteria in the culture, and penicillin was identified, and medicine has never been the same since. Even funnier was John Pemberton, who wanted to cure his own headache. He was a pharmacist by profession. He was trying two main ingredients, coca leaves and cola nuts. When his assistant accidentally mixed the two with carbonated water, the world's first Coca-Cola was the result. <laughs> What's not funny is the fact that John Pemberton died two years later and never saw his mixture give birth to a soft drink empire. And it's funny how people like to mix things up. The English chemist John Walker in 1827 mixed antimony sulfide with potassium chlorate. This resulted in a sticky mixture that coated his mixing stick. When he tried to scrape that sticky substance off his stick, how's that for alliteration? <laughs> it burst into flames. That was a shock. He had just invented the world's matchstick. It's funny that they were marketed as John Walker's friction lights. Sometimes it's funny how words came to be. The French word nom pair meant one without equal, but the sounds blurred together to sounds like num pair. Eventually, English would pronounce num pair as an umpire, forming the new word an umpire. One last funny is really silly. During the war years in 1940s, General Electric engineers were trying to find a cheap alternative for rubber, especially for tank treads, boots, etc. When the engineers combined silicone oil and boric acid, the result was a silly, stretchy, rubbery, bouncy ball. The engineers had a lot of fun playing with silly putty. All that is just to say that I had a funny eureka moment a few days ago. It being a hot day in August, we had gone to the beach. I was cleaning out the car. I wanted to make one trip from the car to the house, so I was carrying an armload consisting of a cooler, beach umbrella, beach towels, blanket, my purse, and holding not too securely in my hands were the car keys. I was trying not to drop them because I needed them to unlock the house door. I had just managed a few steps away from the car when I heard the engine start. That's funny. 
The car's locked. I'm holding the keys. Eureka, I have automatic start. The car is a 2016 that I bought used in 2018. I had tried to read the car manual then, but not being fluent in car technologies, I thought automatic start wasn't included. Now, four years later, I discovered that I do. I just hope it works on a cold day in January and not just a hot day in August. Yes, then it'll pay its benefit. <laughs> Serendipity of finding out you really have it. Uh, <laughs> amen to that. I'm just going to say that reminds me of a song, Serendipity. Yeah. Right. By Fred McMurray on, from a Disney movie. Uh-huh. Right, right, right. Yeah, because even the, um, I think 3M has the story for their post-it notes, mm-hmm. which are, you know, they wanted to make something that was sticky, but they found out it was not sticky enough, but it still bore, gave birth to a new industry of yeah. all these sticky post-it. notes. Post-it notes, yep. yeah. Yep. That's where someone looks at somebody else in the room and says, all right, it didn't work, so what do we do with this, Al? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of stories that way. Speaking <laughs> of such, you know, serendipity and discovery... Sometimes when something like Fleming's discovery of penicillin and whatnot, I refer to that as falling up, you know, when something good comes of it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it takes a second person to do that. That is, a lot of people don't realize that Thomas Edison actually invented the radio tube and just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. When he invented the light bulb, all of his light bulbs operated on direct current, not alternating current. And because of that, his light bulbs had this blue glow around one side of the filament, the more positive side, where all the electrons were trying to gather that Mm. boiled off the filament. And so he noted the effect and, in fact, named the effect as the Edison effect Mm. and experimented with it some but didn't know quite where to go with it. It actually took Lee DeForest and Alexander Fleming later on, decade later, to figure out what to do with it and create the first functioning radio tube as a diode. So Edison was close, but no cigar. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. that's like the guy that did the matches, but he didn't know, think of it as matches. Right. He didn't pick up on manufacturing it as matches. Right. Uh-huh. What do you call it? Yeah. John Walker's friction lights. Friction right. lights. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I guess uh, it's last one around the table. Except for me. Oh, that's true. Oh, sorry, I didn't That's quite all right. You can go, absolutely. <laughs> All right, again, uh, this is following on the theme that we were was posited to us. It was most definitely a summer night. I was most definitely 15. And most enticingly, I was in the company of Donnie McPeak and Jimmy Rooney, both of whom had more than a, a slight whiff of the hoodlum about them, even if that whiff was solely in my mother's nostrils and not mine. Both were tainted by a check mark standing against a single item on my mother's list of questionable decisions. Jimmy's mark came as the result of coming from a broken home. Now, Donnie's sin was a sin of real estate. His family lived down by the beach. Now, even at 15, I realized these violations of decorum should have been laid squarely upon the shoulders of Jimmy and Donnie's parents. Uh, But in my mother's mind, no matter, the sins of the father, you realize. (laughs) But by making me aware of the nature of their sins, my mother neglected to take heed of another old adage, that of the lure of forbidden fruit. The three of us did meet in a choral class and quickly bonded through two shared talents. Actually, one talent and one the lack thereof. The first was that not a one of us could carry a tune in a bucket, and the second was a refusal to stop singing as loudly and as excruciatingly off-key as we were able. 
Combined, these two attributes got us reassigned to a study hall, and as choral was on Friday, and it was a last period class, and as attendance was never taken in a study hall, we had an early start on the weekend. (laughs) Not being able to sing did not stop us from appreciating those who could, though, nor did it hinder our ability to discern the difference between having a good voice and and that of being a great vocalist and performer. Now, I'd come up listening almost exclusively to jazz and had been exposed to some of the greatest song stylists of all time. Standing first among them was Louis Armstrong. Armstrong taught the world how to sing jazz, how to phrase it, how to convey both, both the joy and the sorrow inherent to jazz. His voice was gritty, raspy, guttural, and wholly natural. Not at all the sort of voice record companies were looking for in the 1920s, but his voice came to influence every jazz and pop singer to come after him, from Ella Fitzgerald to Frank Sinatra and beyond. Now, we three spent our summer evenings in each other's company, and the night always began at the Candy Cane, the sandwich and ice cream shop in the harbor. Donnie worked summers at the Cane and got off at 6 o'clock. The timing was perfect. Jimmy and I got off at Woolworths at 5.30, and that gave us time to get home, change, and meet Donnie at the Cane by 6.30. Once there, we ate shirt sandwiches, so-called as they were always on the cuff. From there, we began our walk. We walked all over town, covering roughly five to 10 miles a night, depending on how much time we spent on the beach and how animated our discussions became. This particular summer evening, our discussion began with Joe Cocker's recent cover of The Beatles with a little help from my friends. I declared my belief that Cocker's voice and styling brought the legacy of Louis Armstrong firmly into rock and that the raw power and intensity of his delivery moved the song from a light pop ditty to a true blues classic. The reaction to these remarks led to a mile and a half of vitriol being laid (laughs) upon my head for having disparaged the Beatles. That was the only reason. No comment. The night, for me, was already in the top 1% of the 200-plus nights we had spent together walking, as I believe there is no true discussion without contention. Now, as we'd been on the beach for most of of round one, we decided to sit and enjoy the approaching sunset. Donnie in particular loved sunsets. His family, as I mentioned earlier, lived on the beach, and the beauty of ocean sunsets and moonlit nights over the water were part of Donnie's life from the nursery. That night's setting was especially melancholy, though. School was about to start in a very few weeks, and we knew we would not be sharing any classes our junior year. As upperclassmen, we now came under the Stainine classification, an old system that used previous performance in specific areas of study to determine the supposed pace at which you were learning. Jimmy and Donnie were both math and science whizzes. I excelled at English and history. My mother's checklist had finally won out. As we were nearing the end of the night, we sat on the beach, and after an hour of lightly touching on this and that, we finally hit upon another recent tune that seemed to perfectly reflect our mood, Neil Diamond's Brooklyn Roads. The polar shift from Cocker to Diamond was the first thing we discussed. Cocker's roughness juxtaposed against Diamond's smoothness, and this led into a discussion of content. Cocker's song about dependence upon friends and Diamond's lament upon the loss of friends and family through time and growth, the images both songs relied upon, and the plaintiveness inherent to both. You need friends, but how do you find and hold on to them? We ended the night, as always, back at the cane, this time for Shirt Sundays. 
I have no idea where Donnie and Jimmy are now. Lost due to different schedules and three large moves on my part. Joe Cocker died several years ago, and chief amongst his legacy is a two-volume album from 1970, Mad Dogs and Englishmen, a recording that stands firmly in the top five rock and roll live albums of all time. Neil Diamond is still alive, but he has recently retired from performing. He also had a wildly popular two-volume live album called Hot August Night, but I have no idea where this album may come to on the all-time best list, as I haven't listened to anything of his since 1968, the year of that other hot August night. Mm. <laughs> good Great. memories. Good nice. memories, good discussion. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Mm. Sometimes this, you don't know the, the story of the song. Sometimes, sometimes you don't listen to the story, and other times you do. Yeah. Exactly. Depending, uh, it like can the, depend on a lot of factors. You, like you a, might uh, one word might take you, or the the singer's performer's delivery is what grabs you right away. Like one song, it, it wasn't by the Beach Boys. They just said Brian Wilson on the uh, on the label, and it was a Caroline. No, he's mm. he's mm -hmm. uh, singing about the girl cut her hair. That's the whole story. Right. <laughs> you don't like right. her because she cut her hair. Yeah. Yep. I think one of the best things about being 15 is that you have all the answers to the world's problems. <laughs> we had them all. We had them all. There was no problem, and we were immortal. That's it, exactly. <laughs> that was totally, the other key Totally bulletproof. <laughs> Actually, that's another story. I decided at the age of 15 that I was not going to make old bones. I sit here now at 69 proven wrong. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. so, yeah. I have yeah. no idea why a 15-year-old would I, think that, but that's just me. As serendipity has been one of our mentions today, coincidentally or not, in my attempt to get to the August theme, because I was working on some other things, I didn't get to what I want to do, but effectively, and just a quick, by saying it out loud, I'm committing myself to actually completing it. So you're, you can hold me to it. So having seen the Neil Diamond show, I've got his list of the songs that were performed in the show. I want to take that, which I have, Douglas, not Douglas, um, I forget the guy's name, a brain cramp, but he did Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. 42 is the answer. So somebody had done, and I should go for the fourth stanza, the second line of each of the Neil Diamond songs, segregate that out, and then use that. <laughs> To compose something. <laughs> so that obviously is a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes a little bit of work to do that. But that's what I'm in the process of doing. So in the meantime, what I did was I Googled within my own writing archive, August, and it brings me back 10 years ago. <laughs> I had spent some time at Prince Edward Island, which is where one of our normal readers, writers is, and... I found some shirku from that time. So there's still some are related. <laughs> First one, PEI. We left the fog behind in St. John to watch the seabirds diving at West Point. And West Point is a graphic uh, location on Prince Edward Island, as opposed to what we know as West Point being in New York. So we left the fog behind in St. John to watch the seabirds diving at West Point. And then I believe it's in Charlatan, there is a harbor. And Peaks Wharf was one of the locations in the harbor. So this one is Peaks Wharf, and I've got two of them. Whoa, oh, oh, up she rises. Fiddle, guitar, Irish drum keeps beat on Peaks Wharf. 
So I'm not a good singer, and I'll <laughs> don't do any more than that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Up she rises. Fiddle, guitar, Irish drum keeps beat on Peak's Wharf. And then Peak's Wharf 2, standing in line for ice cream, the pots and pans outlet is empty on Peak's Wharf. So it's just the juxtaposition. We're in a long line for ice cream in the building. It's empty. Standing in line for ice cream, the pots and pans outlet is empty on Peak's Wharf. And then two others that came up in the same search, different orientation, but this one was actually written in August. The issue, and you'll see, without presuming, you'll see the connection. Channels, content, creation, ownership, it comes down to eyeballs and funding. <laughs> the serendipity of having written that in an August many years ago to per- pertinent to our discussion today is like, who could have thunk that? <laughs> the issue, channels, content, creation, ownership, it comes down to eyeballs and funding. And then the final one for today, Tree Frog Chorus, leaving behind irritating commercials, fall asleep with the Tree Frog Chorus. And with the windows open in the last couple of nights, they're back. Tree Frog Chorus, leaving behind irritating commercials, fall asleep with Tree Frog Chorus. That was worth the wait. Mm-hmm. Gives you that time of year, mm-hmm. August, summer, tree frogs. It's and I was able to fall asleep. I can hear them. You can hear them. Yes. Yeah. It's it's music for sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, that wraps us up for this session, and we talked and wove a long way from. Uh, can't even read my notes. And we talked and wove a long way. Stories about movies. We talked about boredom leading to creativity. We talked about the discussion without contention doesn't really exist. The serendipity and falling up, as Pete adds to it. And then a poem in response and then my short shirku. So that's our session for this time. For the listeners, thank you for listening. For those local, if you want to join us either virtually or in person at the Franklin Senior Center, contact the Senior Center there online or send an email to suresteve at gmail.com or contact Franklin TV and Radio at info.franklin, excuse me, info at franklin.tv. Until next time, thank you. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time. I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.